One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by John Cross of the Daily Mirror and back from Swedish football, David Priest, newspaper columnist, goalkeeping coach, and all-round Renaissance fan. So, Watford are on their 10th manager in six years. Marco Silva has been found out at Everton. And Freddie Lundberg has taken charge temporarily at Arsenal. As for Manchester United, they can sell anything apart from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as a credible Premier League football manager. A certain Jose Mourinho returns to Old Trafford on Wednesday before the Manchester derby on Saturday. Decisive week. (laughs) It turns out the pressure, doesn't it, on, on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? It really does. It feels like now every result... I actually think more than Jose Mourinho returning with Tottenham or more than the Manchester derby, the fact of the matter is that Maurizio Pochettino is available. Turns up the heat even more than those two games, frankly, because I think we suddenly view Solskjaer in a different way. We're viewing him as, yes, he's still the club legend. Yes, he's that unifying force. But is he really up to it? Is he the best option? Because there's another option out there. And that's the problem that he's got. Immediately after drawing against Aston Villa when, frankly, on the back of, I know they took loads of kids and played the majority of a young side in the Europa League the previous Thursday. But all of a sudden, 2-2 against Aston Villa looks a bad result. And it's another opportunity gone. It's another opportunity to claw back points in the battle for top four. And really, Manchester United, it looks the top four looks beyond them. And to say that about Man United, that's a pretty damning statement. And I just think that this week, with Tottenham, suddenly playing with renewed confidence and Jose Mourinho will love to go back there and prove a point. It will be a circus and it will be a hell of an occasion. Mourinho will love it and I think he'll get a good reception from the United fans. It Clearly, it didn't go well for him, but I think the anger and the frustration from the United fans about that time, about that reign, particularly obviously in the final season, was more about Man United as a football club rather than Jose Mourinho. And I think that Mourinho still has an affection. He's been very careful, hasn't he, not to have a go at the fans too much since leaving, not to have too much of a club, kind of stay respectful with his barbs. And I think he'll get a good reception. And I just think these two next games will turn up that heat even more on Solskjaer and will have a stronger view as to whether he's a fit or not and whether Man United should be ruthless and just do away with Solskjaer and look to Pochettino. It's Pochettino who hangs heavy, I think, over Old Trafford at the moment, and mm. particularly Solskjaer. In, in that situation, David, you know, you've been in enough dressing rooms to have insight into the way players' minds work. Yeah. 
does there come a point where they see the manager as vulnerable and change accordingly? Yeah, I mean, there obviously is. There's a, it's not just that they lose confidence in the manager, but it's just that it becomes a, a fractured dressing room and, and that's when you can, you can really see that there's going to be a change. You know, you look at, at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer where you think that he's been brought in initially because he'll give the club time to make a decision to bring another manager in because of who he is and the club legend he is. So that's what the club time. Then they've started to play young players to buy himself a little bit of time and a little bit of uh, distance from being removed from the job. You just think that they're going to be running out of time soon. You know, the results need to come immediately. And OK, they might... It might bear fruit later on that, you know, all this experience that young players are getting. But you look at that team now initially, a Manchester United team, and you look at the players, what will those players get into the top four sides at the moment? Certainly in Manchester City or Liverpool side, there's very few. Mm. And, and that's damning, I think, for a club like that. And they also, you know, they sacked Jose Mourinho last December, 26 points they'd got at that stage after 17 games. Now, to even match that, United have got to win the three games they've got left. They've only won four times in the league. So if you take the emotion out of it, look at the numbers and they don't add up. No, but I think that's, what's crucial to this, and it's, we keep coming back to it with Manchester United, is the direction from somebody at the club who, uh, from a football perspective, not just from a business perspective, from somebody who, who knows the game and, and, and has a clear, uh, a clear sight of where the club wants to go because it's not happening at the moment. And you can see that, like I said, it's, it, they're kind of jumping on things, especially with, the, with the playing the, the, the younger players. OK, that's a good direction. If that's the way you're going to go all the way, but a club like Manchester United now, in the position it's in, this isn't 1992. Mm. This isn't a club that's sort of been a, a sleeping giant and hasn't won leagues for, for decades. This is a, a club that's in a prime position to be able to go and attack the top of the league. Rather, and, and they can't be doing that by just thinking, oh, we rely on the younger players. Because those younger players have to be integrated in ones and twos, not in great swears like they have been. Mm. And I suppose, you know, with Jose turning up at Old Trafford, he is almost now the poster boy for change, which at the time seemed brutal. And I'm still not quite sure whether it's going to work mm. out long term at Spurs. But you can't argue against the fact that he's actually made a positive impact on individual players. You know, Deli Alli is a perfect example. Absolutely. I mean, it has changed the mood. And I think that basically, if you are a chairman or chief executive, the, 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 the first target that you want is to change the mood. If it is down, which certainly was at Tottenham, and let's be honest, it is at Old Trafford. You know, the fans are unhappy. Mm. The fans are, I think, giving Solskjaer more grace and more credit because he is a club legend than he would get if he was just another manager, let, let's say. And I think Mourinho has, has, has proved that change can be a good thing. And let's be honest here, Mourinho's probably had an impact on the sack race generally in, in the Premier League because Everton are probably looking at it and saying... Marco Silva, you know, not quite sure about that. You know, he's probably had an impact even at Watford at every level because that, that's the positive change that you can get. I, I've always felt that Mourinho was, had run out of time at Old Trafford, frankly. And he, he looked tired, he looked exhausted, he looked bitter, he looked angry. And that's why I had such, I think, reservations for him at Spurs, simply because I thought, well, if they're getting the, the, the busted flush Mourinho, of which I thought he had become, mm. then they're getting a spent force. 
But actually, I, I saw him on Friday and I came away from there thinking, is that the same guy? I mean, yes, I know what 11 months off can do for you <laughs> and he's recharged his batteries, but he looks energised, he looks refreshed, he looks ready to go again, he looks hungry and he'll be feasting on that game on Wednesday night, let me tell you, because I think that Mourinho takes it as such a slight when people criticise and when people sort of say, you know, is Mourinho all washed up? And I think he will go there determined to prove a point and determined to show that actually he wasn't that bad after all. And he wasn't really, was he? Mm. And the players, you know, what's the impact of a new manager coming in, David? You know, managers talk about that first 10 minutes of their first meeting with mm. the team, you know, where everyone's eyes are on them. They're saying, well, what, you know, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. Is it something about Mourinho that his reputation precedes him and gives him an advantage when he actually goes into a club? Yeah, and I, and I think that everything that everyone said about him being a winner and being uh, and, and taking Spurs to a level where they uh, they will win trophies, a lot was made of that last week. But it is true, and it plays that uh, in the Spurs dressing room. That's what they want. They they want to win things now, and the club have been clever getting uh, some like Jose in because. They're at a point now where they've built up to the team up to a certain point where they might, uh, you know, go off into different directions and different clubs where they they might uh, perceive that they have a better chance of winning things. Where now they've brought him in, and the, the dressing room looks all of a sudden think, well, this guy's won. Uh, he knows what it takes to win. Uh, you know, when the, you've got a side that hasn't won trophies, when you've got a manager who hasn't won trophies, then. There can be doubts about each other, where now the players have no doubts about what uh, Jose Mourinho is and what he can do for them, and the the lift that he's had so far, and it's uh, it's been their fault to see. Yeah, I suppose it's all about being decisive, isn't it? When you're you know, in charge of a big club like that, and you know, Daniel Levy, for all his faults, you can never say that he shies away from a, a really difficult decision. Let's look at Arsenal. It seems to be you know, a lot of names in the frame. It's almost uh, their version of trying to pin the tail on a donkey, isn't it, at the moment? They've got so many different names with so many different strategies. You know, it's a club you know well, John. What's going on? Well, I don't have an issue with, with, the, with the long list of names, I must say. How many do you think are they, they're looking at? Oh, it's more than 10. I mean, it's been perhaps as many as 12. But I think that will soon be whittled down to a short list of, say, four or five this week. And I think they'll do that. And I think, look, I think they'll be looking to make an appointment within, say, four weeks. It's a curious situation. I think that Unai Emery had clearly lost the dressing room. And that had happened for some weeks, honestly. If you'd have just seen the performances in the last, say, couple of months, then I think that's plain fall to see. They just weren't responding to him anymore. Um, And I I think... For whatever reason, it just hadn't worked. Whether he could handle big egos, big players, whether it was a language thing, whether it was the connection with the fans thing. There were so many factors at play that I just think last season he actually did quite well. Finished fifth within touching distance of the top four. If he won the Europa League final, we wouldn't be having this conversation because they'd be in the Champions League. Tiny margins, tiny margins, they really were. And they backed him heavily in the transfer market, you know, in the summer. Let's not forget that. They did some, you know, intelligent, good business. But they've ended up with Nicolas Pepe for £72 million record signing. It felt like a bit of a reaction, let's be honest, you know, to some fans' fallout. And here he is, he's left on the bench at Norwich. 
it's a very, very difficult one. They've signed a good player in Tierney, but Tierney's shorn of confidence at the moment. That's the reason he didn't start at Norwich. And these are all the sort of kind of, you know, factors at play. And that's why they've got to make the right appointment now. I think that what Freddie Lundberg does, he's a club legend, he buys them a bit of time. So I think that the hope is that he can give them a bounce, rather like Solskjaer did at Man United um, last season. I don't think realistically people think that he could really do it. But I do think that they think that if they get enough of a bounce in the next few weeks, then he could maybe push on till the end of the season if needs be, if, i.e. if they can't get their first choice now, if they can't get mid-season, if he's in another job. Whether that's Brendan Rodgers, who I think is high up their list, whether it's Mikel Arteta, who I think is also high up their list. But, you know, whether you could prize them away mid-season is, is another issue. So it's about kind of just getting through this process Look, I think there's four people making this decision. Uh, you know, I think it's um, Edu, technical director, Rao Sanlai, um, Husfami, who's the contracts negotiator, the managing director, Vinay, who's incredibly, you know, uh, nice guy and connects well with fans. I, I, I do think that, that then they make that decision, they then take it to the Cronkies. They've got a big few weeks ahead of them. But I'd rather see them wait, if needs be, to get the right man and I think that should be Brendan Rodgers, by the way, um, next summer. But whether Brendan Rodgers will come is quite the other issue. But it's a, a challenging few weeks. And I, I do worry somewhat that, that they're going to make the right appointment because Emery was such a bad one. Mm. I, I just Sorry just to put in there, but I, I just think that because the way that football has grown now and the business that it's become that it's not about just getting the right mix of players together and to gelling a team together, but it's exactly the same off the pitch. And so uh, maybe it's what uh, John's describing there is that you've got to get the right people in those positions that are all working together. Mm. Because at that level, when you have uh, executives who have their own ideas and, and they want their own input and their own sort of uh, influence on the, on the club, that's where there can be friction as well. So it's so important that you have one person overseeing all of that that ensures that the people underneath him all have the same vision as well. And sometimes, like I said, in the big clubs, it's uh, we, we've seen that it, it's not working. Well, you can it's have... massively it's... important, that, isn't it? Yeah. I, uh, spot on, because at Liverpool, for example, you have this this kind of one vision, mm. which I think is fantastic, mm. that, that basically, and they all, you know, comes in, in into the top of the pyramid, if you like. It's similar at Man City, in fairness, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. That, you know, that, that basically you had that power base that basically wanted to bring in Guardiola and all attuned. And I know it's not going so well for, for City this season, but my word, that's a power base and that's been a fantastically mm. successful model. And it just feels that the clubs that are struggling to have that one vision, yeah. one direction are obvious. And that's Arsenal, that's Man United. And I just think, you know, basically, mm. I think to have, to give a manager a, a chance of success... You have to be pulling in the same direction. And I'm not completely convinced that that's, that's the case. No, it's not just the big clubs either. You know, Norwich as well. They've got to take great credit for sticking with Daniel Farker. That They knew what they wanted to do. And they could, OK, there has to be progression there for them to continue it. And there has to be sort of improvement. But they've got to take great credit for doing that as well. Because if you look at Arsenal, they're basically going through the perfect storm at the moment. They had a manager that they appointed who had shortcomings that they you know, didn't really realise. You've got fan pressure because of that. You've got focus on absentee owners, the Cronkies, yeah. who basically 
I'm pretty cynical businessmen who see sport as an opportunity for a financial advancement. So when you've got all that swirling, it's no surprise that the teams are rudderless, isn't it? No, exactly. And I think that the position that Arsenal were in, especially with the, the towards the end of uh, Arsene Wenger's era, the disappointment in the in the stands and the the friction in the in the stands as well between fans and 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 then the players as well, which has culminated in uh, you know Granit Xhaka sort of uh, having his little uh, his little argument with it with the fans as well. It, it, it just seemed that they needed more control. That's exactly the time they need uh, control because, like you just said, it's all these different factors and, and factions around the club and inside the club that are not pulling in the right direction. And I think it's okay when it comes to the fans and especially with Arsenal fans. Maybe it's get a bit of a rough ride because they're so vocal and they're so sort of. Um, visible on, on social media, people can say that there's uh, some toxicity there mm-hmm. uh, and it's difficult for them to control that. But that's why maybe Freddie's been brought in as well. So it, it sort of keeps a lid on that for a little while until they give themselves time to to see what they're going to do yeah. in the future. His first team was, a let's say, a big charitable, <laughs> a surprise. Yeah. Where you've got, um, you know, okay, I take what you put, your point about Tierney, having very little confidence, but you know, there's a player there. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you've got a central defence uh, of Mustafi and Louise. Yeah. Which is basically like trying to juggle nitroglycerine. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, listen, it, if Unai Emery had picked that team, the, the, the meltdown on social media would have been absolutely unbearable because basically it's it's Xhaka back in midfield as well. I know he'd played in, in, in the Europa League on the Thursday, in fairness. Great credit to Arsenal fans. They'd given him a welcome back. And so they should, by the way, because mm. I felt that Xhaka was incredibly harshly treated by the fans. I think, he, you know, he, he deserved more protection than, than, he, than he got off Unai Emery. I think, that actually, that was one of the final nails for Unai Emery. It was scandalous the way the manager didn't protect a player. Dreadful. And, um, and I, but equally, you know, Xhaka was a hard way back. And Lundberg picked him in his first team. Lundberg picked Mustafi, who's, you know, just an accident waiting to happen, isn't he? And and left Pepe on the bench again. And it's, you know, Klasenac at left back in a, in a back four, which is always a gamble because great going forward. I mean, I thought that Chambers, unfortunately, you know, Chambers has been a very, very good servant, great character in, in the squad, but he, he, he did look suspect. You know, he did look um, exposed at times because he was getting no protection, in fairness, to him. He's not a right back, is he? He's not, and I think he could do a much better job than Mustafi in central defence. But I think, basically, it's going to be a struggle for him at right-back, particularly when the right-sided player, you know, gives him no no protection. But uh, listening to Freddie Lundberg speak afterwards, he is engaging. He does have, you know, charisma there. But for him to say, you know, I know what it needs, it's all about transitions, it's all about working that out on the training pitch, he made it sound simple. And I just, honestly, I think there's a few too many players in that team that do not understand, I think, the art of defending. And when you have a dynamic then, because they've all come together and there's far too many of them that don't understand defending and not enough leaders then to set a tone, you are sitting on a ticking time bomb there because the balance wasn't right. I mean, Willock is great running forward. He's going to be a good player. But, it, you know, tracking back defensively, Xhaka, I think Arsenal will look more solid with him. I genuinely do. Um, but, they, they, you know, some mistakes yesterday. And I, I, I just didn't understand quite the, the mix of it. And 
But fundamentally, he's got a lopsided, unbalanced squad, which you just cannot put right within the space of six weeks. And as a goalkeeper, playing behind that type of defence, it must give you kittens. Yeah, I think Martin Keown uh, yesterday, his analysis was spot on that it was it was passive defending. You know, when, uh, when Pookie breaks forward with the ball, there's plenty of numbers back. They even get him with him, his back to goal. Uh, allowing a turn and uh, nobody in- engaging him, trying to uh, trying to close him down. Um, both uh, David Louise and, and Mustafi both want to do the same thing. They want to drop off strikers, and it's almost just allowing people what they want to do. And, and it, you're right, uh, Bern Leno. Who are, you know, the more he plays for Arsenal, the more I'm impressed with him. I thought he saved them yesterday. Two fantastic saves to to his left in the second half yesterday. Um, I think it's it, it, you know. It's testament to him and how you, you know how good he is as a goalkeeper. When you think that it's come out now that when uh, Man City were, were trying to get Edison, he was the, it was a choice between Edison and uh, and Bern Leno as well. Mm. So it's uh, yeah, he, he's he's progressively getting better. And I, th- I think they, they, they've they've ironed out the problems they had with their uh, playing out from the back and, and being sort of uh, taking too many chances and uh, perhaps uh, mixing up a little bit more than than what they were. Mm. You mentioned Brendan Rodgers who helpfully let it slip that he's got a release clause contract, <laughs> you know, after the game um, uh, against Everton. Um, is that a realistic possibility, do you feel? Yes, but I think, I mean, the, the, the clause is £14 million. We have this weird thing in the Premier League, don't we, that basically you're prepared to pay £14 million for a squad player, reserve left-back or whoever it might be, but you're not prepared to do that for arguably the most important figure at, at the club, a manager. Club's balk at it. It's weird. And I just don't, I'll never quite understand that. But also, there's something a little bit unedifying about sort of one Premier League poaching another Premier League's manager that never looks great. But it's there. So it's there, I think, for Arsenal to take advantage of if they need. But the bigger question for me is whether he'd take it. I mean, I think by far and away, he's the best choice. He's the overwhelming, I think, candidate for various reasons, communication, tactics, style of play. You know, I think the fans would really like him. I mean, I think his his CV is outstanding. I really do. You know, he left Liverpool on a a bit of a low, but let's be honest, his overall job was great. You know, I thought he did did so well. I think he's he's the obvious choice, but he's done so well at Leicester. He's built such a good squad. He's built such a good environment there that they could end up in the... Well, I think they will end up in the Champions League places. And that right now, they're the closest title challengers to Liverpool. So does he leave that for, albeit a bigger club, but a much harder job and perhaps a, a far greater thankless task? Well, that's the central question, isn't it, David? Where you've got Leicester, you've got owners who are emotionally and financially invested in the football club... If he wants to go out and get two or three players to bolster that very good, young, attacking team, he can do so. You've got a, a massive training ground on the horizon. OK, you can say it's only Leicester, but we were saying it's only Leicester before they won the Premier League. They couldn't do that, could they? Not again. I would have thought so, not in the way that Liverpool play at the moment, let's mm. say that, but they're, they're giving themselves a great chance to do it and arguably with a, with a better squad than they, they had last time. But also, you know, saying about Brendan Rodgers, if he does go to Arsenal, what's the attraction there? Well, Arsenal's Arsenal. You know, it's uh, the, the badge is bigger and brighter. If you, the brand. Yeah, exa- exactly. But 
to me, if if I was Brendan Rodgers, the only way I'd be going there now is if I take Leicester's back four and Wilfred and, and Didi with me, <laughs> because then that would make the the difference and take uh, and take Arsenal further on. But I think that's that, that's what the the Premier League has brought now. It's brought everyone. I know everyone keeps saying you know the the, the Uniteds and the Cities they're, they're stretching way further from from everyone else, but. You know, we, we talk about uh, Brendan Rodgers, Nuno Espirito Santo at, uh, at Wolves. Those clubs are closer to Arsenal now because on the pitch, and they've got the financial backing off it to to be able to compete as well. So I think it's a testament to the Premier League that th- these clubs now don't have to sell players. They can afford to let players' contracts run down if they want to keep hold of those players. They can afford to keep managers and keep all the managers much longer than if uh, if bigger clubs came calling. Do mm. you think we're coming towards a phase where the balance of power within the Premier League will change from what we consider the top, the big six, to other clubs, as you say, like Leicester or Wolves or anyone with, with significant foreign owning, ownership can actually break into that top four, top six and actually change the nature of the Premier League? Yeah, I think so. I think it all, also, by the way, it's incredibly healthy mm. because I think that the top six, the top four, if you like, can become incredibly boring, frankly. And I think it's a wake-up call. And I thought that when Leicester won the title in 2016, that was the wake-up call that, that pushed almost others in, in, into action, didn't it? Man United, Man City making new appointments, spectacular ones. And and also, I think that kind of Liverpool pushed on a level as well. They realised that actually they've got to build and spend big. So I think not only does it kind of it's refreshing to have fresh names out there, but it also brings out the best in in, in the established order, if you like, because they realise actually we're becoming a little bit too complacent here. We need to go again. And I just think Wolves have been a breath of fresh air. Well, Nuno might not be. Arsenal's cup of tea because there's sort of question marks over his kind of PR skills and communication skills, which fans can agree with or not uh, 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 as they choose to. But he's doing a brilliant job. And he's an outstanding manager. He's got them playing attractive football. The, the, the players, if you speak to them, will say he's the best manager they've ever worked with. And I just think he, he's not the only one. You know, Leicester on the, Leicester on the up again. And I, I just think it's like a breath of fresh air. You feel it, don't you? And it's a really interesting vibe. It's, it's the kind of the, the crest of the wave that Everton were hoping to ride with Marco Silva. And I just think there's so many other clubs. And it, it's an example to others. And then hopefully that will be a game changer for the other clubs and that they will follow that model to try and break that dominance, which is so healthy for the league. But imagine if they didn't have a slow start the season that they've had. Mm-hmm. They could be up there with Leicester as well, but they've only they've only lost two games yeah. apart from you know, so only Liverpool have lost fewer games. I think it's nine without defeat, and they've played eleven extra games because of the Europa League. Great bit of management, yeah, perfect. You know, so when you you've been in Sweden, you know you've had the the advantage, if you like, of being able to be on the outside looking mm. in. The nature of the Premier League. Okay, we all know it's fantastic entertainment, you know, brilliantly marketed. What is it like at ground root level, you know, in places like Sweden, you know, the English game, is it higher profile than it's ever been? Yeah, it is. I mean, especially in Scandinavian countries, you know, that's the, the, the big clubs, Liverpool, Arsenal, Man United, they, they've, everyone 
a lot of people support them first and then their the Swedish clubs or a, a Norwegian clubs second. You know, you see there's a lot of, especially Norwegians going over to Liverpool and mm. uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, so it's, even though you, when you're working at a club, you, you've kind of got blinkers on a little bit and, okay, we might get uh, an hour or so in the afternoon sometimes to, to take a look at what's happened in the Premier League. We've got, you know, we've got, or we've had English staff there, there's a Sunderland fan, a Leicester fan, a, a Middlesbrough fan. So uh, at least one person's happy in, <laughs> in that office. But it's um, it's been nice to sort of be removed from that and, and just perhaps even just enjoy watching the games because, you know, especially when you, you work in this industry, you, you're analyzing that analyzing all the time you're looking for the the stories in the game and i think that uh yeah it's just been nice being just watching the games for what they are rather than what you think it might be or mm. trying to take your view on it you were at ostersons yeah um yeah graham potter was produced by that now brighton have made a statement of intent giving him a five-year contract looks like dan ashworth who's in overall charge there is is almost like re reproducing the principles that he worked to at the football association um Give us an insight into Graham Potter in terms of his enduring influence at a football club. Yeah, I mean, at, at the moment it's been 18 months, almost two years since he uh, since he left Ossersund and his fingerprints are still all over everything. You know, he's still, obviously, he's... Uh, He's almost like a saint to, to the fans there, and quite rightly so, because it was uh, it was an incredible journey that he went through with the club uh, in... Uh, in partnership with Daniel Schimberg, who was the chairman at the time, they, they sort of grew the club together. And I think that's key to what happened at Ostersund and what can happen at other clubs and with other coaches. You know, I think of the Cowleys at, at Huddersfield. They were given a chance uh, from a lower level to, to progress and to, to sort of mould their philosophy and, uh, and make the mistakes uh, out of the limelight and, and, and develop. And, uh, and that's what Graham did. And... But it wasn't just about the football, you know. He's um, he's a bit of a special guy from the people that uh, that know him really well. They will tell him he's almost like a the perfect human being, principled but almost very respectful. His way of coaching isn't authoritative. He doesn't tell people what to do. His sessions are very much in a way that uh, the players have to figure out things for themselves. And even though he points them in the right direction, he lets them work them out themselves. And I think that's key to what was happening at Ostersunds with him and Daniel Schimberg, that they kind of looked at football and, and tried to turn it on its head. So it wasn't just about developing good footballers. It was about developing uh, good decision makers. So whereas, I don't know, you, you can maybe say that it was 80% focused on physical attributes and 20% focused on mental. They tried to flip that. So they make it about the decision-making and, and about trying to work things out. And that's what it was about. Rather than creating good passes of the ball and good defenders, as much as that, it was about just uh, creating people who were good problem solvers. And I think, you know, I don't know if we're going to, to talk about Jack Grealish, but mm. he's a prime example of that to me. He's not somebody who's... Um, you know, when we talk about players like him and Gaza, we talk about them doing things off the cuff and uh, being away from the norm and uh, and maybe it's an antidote to the overcoached players that sometimes we see now that have become a little bit too predictable. I think when it comes to players like that, it's about creating uh, people with real football intelligence and, and I think that's something that he's got as a player and something, like I said, about the, the Graham develops. Yeah. Would you like to see Greenish get 
more recognition at Eng- England level. Do you think he's at that level? <laughs> oh, yeah. And also, Aston yeah. Villa are a, another club who have basically made their bet on their manager. Mm. Dean Smith's got another four-year contract. Mm. So, in other words, they're basically saying, you're our boy. Absolutely. And I think that's bold from Villa. And I think, don't get me wrong, I think it's the right decision. But I just think that Villa had a tricky start. And basically, a couple of weeks ago, they were just looking nervously over their shoulders. And I love the fact that they've basically gone and said, we back Dean Smith. Absolutely. And I love that. And imagine that the feel and the vibe and the confidence that that will give by saying, you know, here's another contract. That's how much we believe in you. And rightly so, because I think Dean Smith will establish Aston Villa as a solid Premier League club. And I think that, you know, he's done a really good job in bringing them up. I also think he's got an even better player, an even better performer out of Jack Grealish, who Jack Grealish was um, a bit of a maverick, a bit unpredictable, what can he offer? I mean, he was obviously, please don't get me wrong, he was incredibly important for Aston Villa's you know, promotion campaign um, and, and, and guided them there. And I mean, even even in the, sort of the semi-final against West Brom, he turned that game. And then basically, you know, he, he's, he's the man. But he's now got him... I totally take on board your point, David, about it's great to see off the cuff and overcoach players and sometimes he is the answer to that. But he still, he works into a system whereby he is getting goals. His goal at Old Trafford was fantastic. His assists are up and he's he, he working in that format with the, 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 the more unpredictable side alongside him as well. And look, I just think that Gareth Southgate has, has been excellent on picking England squads and so on. And he must have a blind spot on Gareth on on Jack Grealish because I couldn't quite understand why he wasn't in last time. He was close and he acknowledged that, but he should have been in because I think reward players and, you know, maybe he's trying to keep him hungry and getting even better. But there's no doubt about it. I think that Jack Grealish shouldn't just be in the squad, Mm. but I think he, he should be very, very close to that starting lineup. He's an exciting player. I love those players that, that get you up off your seat. And, you know, I, I'd like to see sort of kind of Southgate just make a few more changes, experiment a little bit, because we're running out of time. I, I, it always staggers me that Lewis Dunk from Brighton's not in, because mm. I really like him. I think he's great. And I think he'll improve under Graham Potter, going back to him. But Grealish absolutely should be in the England squad. Yeah. With um, Aston Villa, you know, they, they are following a strategic plan. Dean Smith... Understands the culture of the club, was a fan, as a boy. When you get a, a foreign manager coming in, like Marco Silva at Everton, you can't expect him to understand the culture of the football club and look, look about anything apart from his own personal well-being, can you? Is that the problem with someone you employ someone like Marco Silva? I mean, it's the system like Marco Silva. Yeah, I understand what you're saying by that, but you're right. Well, here's someone who's had five clubs and basically... Risen without trace. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It hasn't left a, a big market anywhere, really. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I think, especially when you've got some, uh, somewhere like Everton, where it's a very traditional club. It's not just, got, you know, because they have the old, the old stadium and it's... It, uh, but the, the, the fans are of a certain type. And I think the, the first thing you have to do as a, as a manager at Everton is win over the fans. And... Okay, you do that by winning games and you can do that. But even that doesn't necessarily guarantee you look at uh, Sam Allardyce, you know, okay, maybe he didn't win a lot of games, but he improved them up to eighth place, you know, and it still wasn't enough for the fans there. So it, 
you know, we spoke before about you know what uh, what a manager has to bring to to the club, and it's it's not just about um, uh, what they bring to the to the team. It it is about PR. It it is about how they project not themselves, but how project them clo- the club and and how the the, the perception of, of the outside world is of that manager and the club. And I think that yeah, yeah I think when he, when he first went to Everton, there's still all that uh, the uh, the backstory to to what happened when he uh, that. When he left the job at Watford, and it's it's, it's baggage as well, you know. Mm. So I think that um, first and foremost, if they, if they do go for a, a new manager, they have to think very carefully about uh, how they approach it and and who it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Do you think they will change, John? I think they have to really. Um, I think it's a question of, of when rather than if now. I don't know. I, 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 I like you, David. I, I sort of got this affection for Everton simply because Goodison's a really good place to go and watch football, and I just felt that they reached a stage a couple of years ago where I thought that they could be the team to to kick on. I think as much as the sort of the managers at fault, not signing a centre forward is, is is a big issue. Um, sort of the structure of the team signings, which. Not quite there. I mean, you know, there's no doubt about it that Everton wanted Wilfred Zaha, but they couldn't get Zaha, so they went for Alex Iwobi. Well, I think Alex Iwobi, don't get me wrong, is a good player, but he's not not, not the player that they wanted. So I think it's kind of, they've had a couple of seasons and a few too many windows where it's, oh, we couldn't get number one, so we'll compromise and make and make do sort of thing. And I think, therefore, if you are trying to catch the Arsenals of this world... Going out and signing their, their their players who you know are then available means to say that you're probably not going to catch them, and it's about as much recruitment as it is it is the manager. And I just think it hasn't worked for Silva. I, I must say I do think that to block off and say that all managers don't understand the club culture is incredibly unfair because you think of Jurgen Klopp mm-hmm. and he gets it and he understands that, and that's the power of the manager. That's because the emotional he, intelligence. Absolutely. And and frankly, you've got to break down between the mercenary manager who's, you know, chops and changes between clubs on the on his way up to, to the top and is not afraid to then jump off the carousel because a bigger offer and better offer comes in. And I think that I'm afraid is systematic of Marco Silva and his ambition, really. And I think he's been undone by his own ambition. And I think that that should have been a warning sign to to Everton because he was ready to to jump so quickly and so easily from Watford as he was prepared to do, and then was you know curtailed in doing so. I think that should have been a warning to Everton. But the next appointment is so important because we are talking now about relegation battle. It's unthinkable, but we are, mm. and I think that that that's fundamentally why Everton will have to change silver. But again, we, we talk about the, the structure upstairs mm. and if the reports are right that, you know, there's, there's factions that, that you know, one, uh, so Bill Kenwright wants uh, one manager, one type of manager and then the other part of the board want another manager. Then it's, well, they're not working together and that's, you know, if that's coming out publicly, you know, then it, it's, it's, it's very clear that the next one's, it, whoever wins that battle, then it's going to be a flick of the coin again. Mm. Do you think David Moyes is a viable option to go back? I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe he's a, the wrong person to ask after his uh, tenure at Sunderland. But it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, you know, he, he went in in West Ham and he did the job that he was that he was asked to do uh, uh, before he left. And I think that 
it's a long time since he left uh, Everton now, and they 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 are a different club now. Mm. You know, and it depends what the, what what do they really want? Do they want somebody till the end of the season again, like he did at West Ham, or do they see him as the man going forward? Now, if they can't get the man that they want going forward till the summer, then yes, do that. It might bring a little lift. Not all Everton fans are going to be happy with that, but you know. It, it might bring a, a little bit of a bounce, but they have to look further forward than that. Mm. David Moyes, he's way above caretaker, surely. Mm. I mean, I like David Moyes. Mm. You know, I think I respect him. I think he's a really good, solid manager. And I don't mean that patronising when I say solid. I really mean it. I just think he's a, you know, he would be, he would be, I think, fine for Everton to go back. But I, the fans, I'm not sure all of them will buy into it. Seriously, can we really talk about him doing a caretaker stint until they get the man they really want? Well, they could try that, but I'm not sure David Moyes would be up for that. Surely he's done more in the game to get a bit more respect than that. And I just think, I don't know, it it doesn't feel quite right if you're doing it on those terms, does it? I yeah, I, I understand that, but also you think, well, if not there, where does David Moyes go? Mm. West Ham. Yeah, possibly, yeah. yeah. They, should, they should have started with him, I think. They yeah. should have started with him. He did a good job, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in um, Derby week in many ways. You know, we've got the Merseyside Derby. Um, let's have a quick look at Liverpool. Um, 11 points clear of, of Manchester City. Um, eight ahead of Leicester. Um, are we really, should, should they actually be putting their name on the Premier League trophy now? I mean, we know what football's like, so probably not. But if you look at the evidence in front of us, then you would say that it's, it looks very likely, doesn't it? OK, and they're now they're, they've been very solid now without being spectacular. You know, they've sort of... Uh, so it's modified the way that they've played uh, in the past couple of seasons. So that now that's they're winners. They're not just entertainers, they're winners. They're not just an attacking force. They're very good defensively. Okay, now you might see that Adrian's going to come back in. He deputised very well when uh, when Alisson was injured. He's going to have to do it again uh, for the next game after him being sent off. So it, those little things might make a difference, but the defence in front of him, you know, I should give him enough protection uh, to make sure they'll be fine. Mm. Got Fabinho out until the new year. Mm. Is that probably the only way that Liverpool are going to trip up through untimely injury? Yes, and the Club World Cup. It, it's going to be an issue for them. Um, because they're going to go off to Doha for a week. It's going to be a complete change of pace. I think Klopp will have to use it. I mean, brilliant manager, genius, but he will have to use it as some way of uh, almost feels like a mid-season break for them to, to mm. use that and to sort of almost thrive on that. Don't get me wrong, it'll be anything but, because I think it'll be fantastic for the club to, to be club world champions, if, if you like. So, but, Meantime, they miss a Premier League fixture. That'll have to be reorganised. They've got the, the the distraction also of the Carabao Cup and the under-23s. And I do think that will be, that along with Fabinho, it is where they could possibly just come a cropper and drop a couple of results. And then if you're talking eight points and then suddenly you drop six and the, the others make up the ground... That's when the worry is. But do I think Liverpool will be champions? Absolutely. OK. Let's bring this to a close. I purposely left Watford until last, um, just purely on the basis that we know, you know, we are just, just gone 12 o'clock on a Monday. Monday. Uh, looks like later this afternoon they're going to announce 
yet another new manager. Kike Sanchez Flores. One, were you surprised, John, that he that he he's gone? Mm. And two, let's talk about their model because it is you know the it's pretty brutal, isn't it? Yeah, it is really, and it does feel like that the, the managers in some ways are pieces of meat, really. And it's just oh well, if that doesn't work out, we'll change it again. And it does somewhat frustrate me that basically they always seem to escape media criticism, media scrutiny in a way. I I can never quite understand why, because we spend so much time talking about the need for stability and praising clubs for their stability and and, and basically how managers need time. And yet when it comes to Watford, oh, that model works well for them and it's great. Well, it's kind of, does it or doesn't it really? And what I, I think fair play up until this season, I think it has. And I think that sort of they would go along with sort of this organised chaos theory season when they came up. I think they had three managers. Mm. I mean, it was remarkable, really. And yet I thought they reached a point, and this is the failing, I think. They reached a point in the summer. Yes, I know that Premier League results hadn't been good, but they reached the FA Cup final. Javi Grazia was being lauded for the impact that he'd made, for what a really nice guy he was, what the positive impact he'd had on the club. And they'd reached a point in time, they got humiliated in the FA Cup final, but they'd reached a level. Now, what has gone wrong from there? Because he goes within a matter of weeks at the start of the season, then he's replaced by Flores. And the, the fallout when Flores was sacked the first time was that basically there was sort of kind of this whispering campaign when he left about how he wasn't suited, he'd taken his eye off the ball. Well, what's changed? Sorry, but it, that, that does strike me as organised chaos. And we're, we're, we're heading for our third Watford manager of the season. Well, last week they were saying they wouldn't sack Flores and now they have. I mean, you can't, you can't have it all ways. And I think this muddled mess has left Watford in a mess and in serious danger. I mean, if they survive, you'll say, okay, fine, they've done what Watford do. But if they go down, they'll have wasted a big opportunity because Grazia got them to a good place in the summer and you have to look at the hierarchy of the club and say they've wasted that opportunity. I think whoever comes in next inherits a team shorn of confidence, lacking in quality now. They've got an uphill battle and they really have. I still think they could stay up and then it's justified. But if they make the wrong appointment, well, they'll change it again in a month anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right. As we sit here, David, you know, there was initially an awful lot of talk about Chris Hutton. You can see the logic in that. Uh, Paul Clement, uh, if you're going to have a development model, player development model, yeah, I can see that. But again, we go right back to the start of this conversation. What does the football club want? Yeah, I think if we look at what Troy Dean was saying, sort of uh, middle of last season, okay, everything was, that's when everything was rosy and everything was fine. He's thinking that his comments were that everyone thought this was a bit of a madhouse and behind the scenes and says there's nothing, you know, can be anything further than the truth. Okay, well, that's fine when everything's going great. But I think that um, if those in charge at, uh, at Watford know exactly what they want, they know the personality traits of uh, the managers that they want, the playing style, uh, the philosophies that they have, if those managers that they're bringing in are of a very similar ilk, then I've got to say that I, I agree with that, mm. you know, and sometimes that, that change has got to happen. But they're very but, thorough, David. You know, they actually have a coach and manager scouts. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and that's why I mentioned the, the personality traits because I know that they're, they're profile managers as uh, mm. personalities and characteristics as well. And 
yeah, they, they are trying to do it the right way. You know, they, they're trying to create this uh, this great scouting network where the recruitment hasn't been too bad, actually. They're probably missing that real uh, goal scorer who's going to uh, score um, 15, possibly 20 goals. Of course, every club's looking for that. But that's probably what they're missing at the head of their uh, very good midfield, Delefeo, Kipue, uh, Dukure. They're, they're a strong side, mm. you know, from that perspective. And I think um, Ben Foster in goal, he's been having a bit of an Indian summer as well. Uh, been performing really well, so I, I think that they are trying to do it in the right uh, right way behind the scenes. But like you said, it, it's uh, it's almost like Chelsea on caffeine. You know, they they, they just ch- chop and change all the time, and it is working for them. But um, don't underestimate the power of that uh, that defeat in the FA Cup final, because even though things weren't going great in the league, that they can sort of paper over the cracks by saying, well, you know, we've had a good start, we, we've got success in the cup. You know we're surviving. It's been okay. We've you know we're doing all right, but that can be really damaging. And when you, you it's a humiliation for those players, and they've got to carry it over for a couple of months before the next game comes in. Uh, you're not starting the, the the season on an even footing. Well, there's so much at stake, and owners are prone to panic. Change also coming at West Ham and Southampton. Wouldn't put it past them. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 